Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Allie got along with everyone. She was very bubbly and spirited. She always had a smile on her face. Ali, what are you doing? Taking a picture for Sunsets by Ali. Follow. <laughs> she wanted to live the college life in, in a large university. She really wanted to be involved in a school that had that ranking. Good football team. Ball Hemingway Stadium, Oxford, Mississippi. It is the home opener for the Ole Miss Rebels. It's fair to say she loved Ole Miss. Yes, Allie loved Ole Miss. It was fairly late at night. She was going out to the bar. It wasn't weird for her to like go out on her own and meet up with other people at the square where all the bars are. She takes an Uber and uh, she goes home alone. Sardis Lake is a big area. There's lots of hunting camps and recreational spaces that people use on the lake. The Sheriff's Department here does a really good job of doing their best to patrol these locations. The deputies on a routine patrol of that area. I don't know what the moonlight was like, but you're, there's nothing around you. You're in the pitch black dark. It's not like a lover's lane or nothing. I mean, it's just rule a lot of people don't know about it. When you got there, what did you find? A white female laying on the ground with multiple gunshot wounds to her back. I have not worked a murder where somebody's been shot that many times. 
when the ambulance crew was driving in, they noticed the perch in the road ditch. As soon as we opened the purse, Ole Miss ID card and a driver's license. Hey, Morgan. This is Micah East at the Lafayette County Sheriff's Department. I'm calling in regards to a friend of yours, Allie Hostel. I had realized I had a missed call when it was the police, and they were calling about Allie. The police came to the door, and uh, they told us. What did they tell you? There had been a homicide and that she was the victim. And I still don't believe it. Here we are. That led investigators to go and uh, look in her apartment and her room and they found her Apple Watch. And even though her phone was not there, some of those messages still synced to that watch. Hardest thing to do is to go back and read her messages. The heinousness of this, the crime itself, to shoot her as many times as she had been shot, seems so personal. Yeah. Basically almost was like execution type style. In your mind, the motive for murder was? Get rid of a problem. How would you describe this case? A uh, tragedy of Shakespearean proportions. student would be in that area some 30 miles away from campus. Authorities have released limited details on the case, but did say they suspect foul play. Though it's been years since Cindy and Keith Costell's daughter, Allie, was found murdered on July 20 of 2019, it still doesn't seem real to them. It does seem like she's still away at school. And I still don't believe it. Here we are still in denial. The Costels had visited Allie at her apartment a few days before. She wanted us to stay an extra day. She was having so much fun. She wanted me to cook her home-cooked meals. We went shopping. She loves a beach theme, so we just bought a bunch of new decor, you know. Cindy and Keith had returned home to St. Louis when Cindy spoke with Allie on the phone just hours before she died. It was like 7 o'clock at night. She had just woken up from a nap because she had a test, actually, on that day. I said, what are you going to do tonight? She said, I'm going to go out with some friends. 24 hours later, Lafette County Sheriff's Department investigator Jared Bundren was hoping clues from Allie's Apple Watch might lead to the first break in the case. We just started from there.
What was she like to you? She was like my sister. Like so many who knew and loved Allie, Maddie Norris, one of her best friends in high school, was trying to make sense of what had happened. I just was like in shock. The two were inseparable. It was like, if Allie was there, Maddie was there. I love you too. She was like my other half. We had like a bunch of adventures together. Girl things, watching chick flicks, watching Weekly Blind. <laughs> Driving in her convertible. When it came time to go prom dress shopping, she just tried on this red dress. And she called her mom and was like, Mom, I have to get this dress. <laughs> Did she have a boyfriend in high school? She had boys she had like crushes on, but nothing ever serious. She didn't find a date for prom. And so I asked her to be in my prom date. After graduation, Allie was thrilled to be heading to a college steeped in tradition, history, and football, the University of Mississippi. She liked the preppy life, very like girly, like pearls. Allie arrived in the fall of 2016, but the marketing business major may have had something more on her mind. She wanted to meet a Southern boy and get married and have children one day. And she thought that would be a, a perfect setting for her to meet her, her companion for life. By junior year, we were thick as thieves, like best friends. Morgan Hull went to college with Allie. She's always like rearranging and redecorating her room too, which is always so funny to find little Allie like moving all the furniture around by herself. We were both from St. Louis. Elizabeth Brock met Allie at a campus party and became fast friends. So then we're like, oh my God, how did we like not meet until now? Elizabeth says Allie was fascinated by sunsets. She had a, a sunset Instagram account where she'd post pictures that she took of sunsets. As for dating at college, Cindy recalled Allie saying she met someone her freshman year. She said, um, I met this boy, he's from Texas. She, for whatever reason, loves the state of Texas. And she was real excited to invite him to a sorority dance. That's the boy she really liked. What did she first say about him? That she found a guy that was cute, that she was starting to like, had a crush on. That crush would turn out to be fellow student Brandon Thiesfeld from Fort Worth. Was she really excited about him? Yes, like head over heels. I think she took him to most of her date parties that her sorority had. So when Maddie went down to Oxford to visit, she was looking forward to meeting the new man in Allie's life. Unfortunately, I never met him. Things did not go as planned. You never met him? Mm -mm. Because he never came around? Never came around. How did she feel about that? I mean, it hurt her. You had like your best friend from high school coming down to visit you and your crush is MIA. Maddie was concerned that there was something about her friend's relationship that wasn't quite right. But otherwise, Allie seemed to be thriving at college. She loved it. 
she could not get enough of it. She finally achieved the goal of going there and she just was living her life. Three years later, her life was cut short. Now with the clock ticking on finding her killer, Allie's Apple Watch proved invaluable to investigators. What did the watch tell you? The watch was telling you she was having very lengthy text message conversation with Brandon. Brandon Thiesfeld, Allie's freshman year crush, it seemed the two were planning to see each other that very night. Learn more about Allie's life and what investigators found at 48hours.com. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So... What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. When investigators discovered that Allie's last text messages were with Brandon Thiesfeld, they wanted to talk to him, and soon. We called late Saturday, early Sunday morning to come in and give her an interview. Investigators also tried tracking Allie's phone on Saturday, but it only pinged once in Oxford before the signal died. Thiesfeld responded, but made excuses about why he couldn't meet all weekend. Finally, he said that he would be there at 8.30 Monday morning. And 8.30 Monday morning came, no brand. Lafette County Assistant District Attorney Mickey Mallet says that's when the decision was made to start tracking his phone. When they do that mid-morning uh, on a, a real-time situation, they can see where he is. What did you find out? That he was on Interstate 55 headed north toward Memphis. From here to go to where he lives in Texas, that's probably the most common way to go. They can see his location moving away from Oxford. District Attorney Ben Creekmore says, with Thiesfeld appearing to be on the run, investigators got an affidavit of arrest for murder and immediately sent out a bulletin. When we saw that his truck was leaving Oxford, there was a bolo for his tag. A bolo? Be on, be on the, the lookout. lookout. It didn't take long for the Memphis Fugitive Task Force to spot Thiesfeld. About an hour and a half, two hours later, they caught him at a gas station. Bundren says Thiesfeld was sitting at the pumps in his pickup truck, which had easy-to-spot license plates. The tag on the plates. It says, take it. Hard to miss. Very hard to miss. A dash cam captured Thiesfeld being taken into custody. Police immediately alerted investigators in Mississippi about what they found in the truck 
and on his clothing. He had a 40 caliber gun, consistent with the caliber of the shell casings that were found on the scene, and he had blood on him. Bundren headed north to pick him up. He was calm, you know, read him his rights, he invoked his rights, wanted his returning. He was picked up in Tennessee. We asked him if he would sign a waiver of extradition to come back to Mississippi, and he signed it, and we brought him back. With Thiesfeld in custody, investigators began retracing his steps the weekend of Allie's murder. They learned that he had been popping up all over Oxford starting on Saturday. He stayed with some friends. They said it was very casual. Um, they went bowling, uh, normal stuff. But there was nothing normal about what he brought to a friend's house on Sunday. Said he came in to his house carrying a gun and unloaded the gun in the house. He brought in a six pack of beer and said that they set up for a while. When he got up the next morning, he was gone. While Thiesfeld wasn't talking to investigators, he would eventually talk to an attorney, Tony Faris, hired by his family. He had a life full of promise, uh, received uh, lots of love and a good Christian family. Faris learned Thiesfeld was a doctor's son. He seemed to have enjoyed a typical Texas childhood. He liked outdoors, hunting, fishing. He was a soccer player. He had never been in a fight in school, no history of violence. It wasn't long after arriving in Oxford that Thiesfeld met Allie. He met her at a local bar. Uh, they dated casually uh, during their freshman year. I think she was uh, more enthralled with Brandon than Brandon was with her, quite candidly. According to Faris, their relationship became complicated when they were sophomores. Did he actually block her from his phone? Yes. She had uh, texted him so much late at night when she's out and, uh, drinking and partying, and, and uh, it got to the point where he did block her phone, yes. But something shifted by their junior year, and the two got back in touch. I think she saw this as a mutual romantic endeavor, and Brandon did not see it that way. Which would explain one thing. So when did you first meet him? I never met him. Allie's closest friends didn't know Thiesfeld at all. Morgan says she'd only met him one time. It's so odd that we were her best friends and we still really didn't even know him that well. Like when this happened, we didn't even know his last name. But in August of 2019, Thiesfeld's name was front page news. That's when the case was presented to a grand jury. The evidence included pictures of the gun and shell casings. And this letter investigators recovered during a search of his apartment, apparently written by Thiesfeld the weekend Allie was found dead. Prosecutors say it's a confession. The letter that he's written to his mom and dad concerned about what he's done. Thiesfeld wrote that he'd always had terrible thoughts, and this is the end for me. I'm either going to prison or going to die. He also wrote, I know I'm going to get caught. He confessed. I think he did. You, he, he didn't say he committed the murder. You could argue that it was a confession, an apology to his mom. It was an apology. Tony Faris says he spoke to Thiesfeld about the letter and says it was also something more, a suicide note. He writes a uh, 
goodbye note to his family. Tells them that he loves them. Uh, apologizes for what he's done. I am told by Brandon that uh, he has the gun to his head and then passes out. The grand jury handed down their indictment. Capital one murder. At the time, Jake Thompson was a reporter for the local paper, the Oxford Eagle. He says these felt faced the death penalty for kidnapping and murdering Allie. It rocked Oxford to its core because, you know, it, it, Oxford takes in these people. They, they're one of their own for four years, five years, however long you're here. And so it was, it was tough for both the academic and the university and the citizens of Oxford. In late September, Thiesfeld appeared in court to enter a plea, not guilty. The big question, you know, of course, why did it happen? And that was something that we were all initially trying to, to figure out. Investigators hope to find some answers in hundreds of text messages between Allie and Thiesfeld. And what they discovered included some life-changing news. The first messages about it started in early April. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're stuck. Can't move forward. Days are... Just rough. When you think about her not being here, that makes you feel what? Sad and like broken. Back up. As Allie's friends and family waited for Brandon Thiesfeld to go to trial for her murder, Prosecutors were building their case. All right. They were hoping text messages between the two could provide insight about what may have led to her death. We know more about what he may have been thinking, and we know more about what she may have been thinking. What was the relationship between these two? Well, that, that might be different depending on who you ask. I think it would be fair to say that she looked at it with a more serious eye over the entirety of their relationship. Thiesfeld's defense attorney, Tony Farise. From Brandon's standpoint, it was a casual sexual relationship. They were never boyfriend and girlfriend. They didn't go on dates. Like, he didn't pick her up, take her anywhere out to dinner, none of that. But he would 
tell her that he wasn't good enough for her, and that's why they couldn't be together. Morgan and Elizabeth say it was an odd relationship. He definitely manipulated her. Carried out over text. I think we were just more, like, upset with how if she would show us, like, texts from him or tell us things, he would say that were really unkind to her. So you knew she liked this boy? Yeah, yeah. But she never really had mentioned him, at least to me, over time, or that he was, you know, even in the scene at all. Was there anything in her behavior that suggested things weren't normal? See, and that's the thing, she's told me everything in life. But never discussed him. Cindy and Keith say they have not read their daughter's text conversations uncovered by investigators. No, we haven't read any of it. Will you? I don't know if I can. In April 2019, just three months before her death, Allie was getting ready for spring semester finals. What her mom didn't know was Allie was focused on a different kind of test, a home pregnancy test. When you learned about that, was that something so out of line for Allie in her behavior? Big time, yeah. On April 14th, she texted Brandon Thiesfeld a photo of an inconclusive home pregnancy test and this message, like it's a very faint blue line. But I don't know. I guess I can wait and see if my period comes. Thiesfeld's response well, all right, we will see. But if it is pregnant, we are not keeping. We can get a pill. She was definitely worried. She thought she might be pregnant. In this text, Allie, it seems, was anxious and conflicted. I'm not saying what I am going to do because I don't know what's happening. But even if you don't want to be involved, like I am really pretty and sweet and I know I will meet a real man one day. It appeared Thiesfeld did not see fatherhood in his immediate future. I'm serious. No kid at all. It will ruin my life. She was trying to get into contact with Brandon about this, and she had texted him, and he would either just ignore her or do the thing where he would tell her, okay, like, I will come over tonight and we can talk about this, and then he would never show up. So she talked to you about this? Yeah, she came to us right away. Investigators would later learn after Brandon Thiesfeld received news about that pregnancy test, he had been searching the internet for mother wants kid, father does not. Yes, he did um, suggest an abortion uh, initially. There was uh, talk about that. He regrets that, but uh, that did occur. That's memorialized in the text messages. So in your mind, if she was pregnant, she would have had the baby. She would have given it the world, honestly. Allie, despite the ambiguous test result, would text these felt day and night. Many of her messages are long, revealing, and troubling, says forensic psychologist Chris Mohandi. He was not involved in the case. We asked him to read some of the text messages. These lengthy, pretty much one-sided conversations that were initiated by Allie, you know, with very little in return from Brandon, make this a very lopsided investment into this relationship. This exchange begins on Monday, April 15th, 2019. 
At 12.57 a.m., with Allie writing, I lived it up this weekend and was drunk 24-7. I did that so my body might decide, ha-ha, no, not today. Then at 2.37 a.m., she texts, I thought about it. If you want to talk to me in person, that would be better. Thiesfeld responds, almost nine hours later, I can talk tomorrow. I'm busy today. I'm still going to have the decision of the pill. To me, there's several layers there. Do you sense that at all, based on what you've read, that he has any desire to keep her on the sideline? It appears that he has no desire to keep her on the sideline from what I've seen in these communications. He's communicating just enough for a purpose to try to influence her into terminating the pregnancy, if indeed she is pregnant. That seems to me to be his only investment in any of these communications. Mohandi says Allie may have been trying to get Brandon Thiesfeld's attention with texts about her drinking. In the past 48 hours, I've literally drank a full bottle of tequila, two bottles of champagne, seven beers, a glass of wine. I, I can't even imagine someone her size being able to consume that much alcohol. That's a lot of alcohol to consume for somebody of her size and for many people, if not most people. My concern would be, you know, alcohol poisoning or an overdose from alcohol, which is why I raised the question of how much she's drinking or it's being exaggerated to show, hey, to tell Brandon, I'm self-destructive, come to my rescue, you gotta help me, I'm desperate. Do you believe Brendan believed she was pregnant? I know that Allie claimed to have been pregnant. So the question is, why would she claim to be pregnant if she were not pregnant? Hence, my conclusion is that uh, uh, she wanted a serious uh, relationship with Brandon, which in her mind could have included marriage. The text messages had created a digital map of a complicated relationship. They also gave investigators clues about where Thiesfeld was heading a week before Allie's death. On Friday, July 12th, Thiesfeld would take a road trip home to Fort Worth, Texas. That same day, Allie texted him a photo of two more ambiguous home pregnancy tests. Less than 48 hours later, at 4.16 p.m., he posts a disturbing photo on social media. He does a Snapchat saying, with with a picture of this 40 caliber gun and there's a chilling caption finally taking my baby back to oxford By the time Brandon Thiesfeld drove back from Texas to Mississippi, he'd left a digital footprint, and prosecutors say it revealed a deeply disturbing web search history. He is doing some computer searches on how to get away with crimes, how to conceal crimes, planning preparation type stuff, how to tie people up, how to lure them in. He did a search on Ted, Ted Bundy's. For Allie's friend Morgan, it was an eerie reminder. 
a few months before this happened, Allie and I watched the Ted Bundy movie together. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, vile. And we just sat in her bed and we ate popcorn and snacks and we were like, this is so messed up. And then months later, you know, this happens to Allie. What explanation do you have for what he was thinking when he's making these searches? Well, he certainly has some uh, searches that could be troubling. It depends on how you view those. When you start looking at someone's search history, you're watching TV, you've got all sorts of news shows uh, that feature Ted Bundy. Attorney Tony Faree says the search history doesn't prove Thiesfeld had been planning to shoot Allie. He says there is an innocent explanation for why his client brought that pistol back to Mississippi. That's not outlandish. That in our part of the country, in Mississippi, in Texas, uh, people, people shoot. We've got shooting ranges here in Oxford. So we deny that it was brought back for the sole purpose of killing Allie. But it was clear to prosecutors Thiesfeld's trip to Texas and the computer searches were part of a carefully laid out plan. When you put it together, it would appear to us what his purpose was in bringing the gun back. A gun that apparently he didn't even know how to use. If you sit there and you go through all of his Google searches, he don't even really know how to work a gun. He was Googling hollow point ammo and what button does what on a Glock pistol. On Thursday, July 18th, shortly before 2 in the morning, Allie texts Thiesfeld a photo of her stomach. The following day, Friday, July 19th, the day before her death, Thiesfeld texts Allie, are you going to be home today? Because I could visit. Almost two hours later, Allie texts him another photo and this message. Like, it isn't like I'm not that small anymore and I can pretend I'm fat right now, but I don't know. It's getting hard. After a few more texts from Allie, Thiesfeld writes, just let me know when you are back from going out. Is your house private right now? The horrifying irony is that text messages from him to her were asking, is it a good environment? Are your friends going to be there? And you could assume that she's thinking he wants to talk about the pregnancy issue and to work on the relationship. In his mind, he's thinking, I don't want any witnesses when I get her in the car with me. Minutes before midnight, a security camera captured Allie walking out of a bar in Oxford Square. Then around 1.30 in the morning, prosecutors say Thiesfeld and Allie take that dark and desolate drive to Sardis Lake. Once you turn off that paved road onto the dirt road and then another 10 minutes to get to here, there's no one out here. I mean, this is an abandoned fish camp. Yes, ma'am. Assistant District Attorney Mickey Mallett and investigator Jared Bundren took us to the place where it happened, where there's now a makeshift memorial. I, I mean, I can only imagine what was going through her head. Wasn't she alarmed? Wasn't she concerned? You know, in her mind, she may not have had a reason before that to be in the same kind of fear. Um, you know, I'll, we'll never know. But I think she was just so blinded by her desperation to talk about what to do in their relationship. 
Investigators found cans of White Claw hard seltzer on the picnic table. Eleven shell casings were discovered on the ground. What did ballistics tell you? Ballistics told me he was sitting either across from her or on that side of the table. Uh -huh. He fired one shot. There was one shell casing here, and the other ten were in that area coming around the table. They was not all in one spot. It, like, started and started coming all the way around. He circled her? Yes. And with every move? He was fired. I mean, even one round hit the table right there. And he just left her here? Left her here. Fiesfeld knew all about that place on the lake. He'd been there his freshman year. His attorney told us what Fiesfeld says happened that night. He had been drinking all that day. She had been drinking. They're listening to music. They start talking. Brandon has some cocaine. He goes to the truck, uh, does a little cocaine inside of the truck, goes back to the picnic table. Fiesfeld, he says, goes back to his truck again, grabs his pistol, and fires a shot across the lake. She states, oh, you're crazy. You sit there and talk. Then he shoots her. Remember, Allie was shot at least nine times. Why? It just came out of nowhere? I'm not sure out of nowhere. Brandon denies that it was planned when he took her out there. I don't think Brandon would have been in this situation but for his choice of consuming alcohol and then using cocaine. So you're saying in that moment, under the influence of alcohol and cocaine, he snapped? That's what I'm saying. It was out of rage, out of rage. And rage for what? Maybe he thought he was going to be a father and he wanted to end it his own way. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The evidence against Brandon Fiesfeld, according to prosecutors, was overwhelming. There was a lot of planning on Fiesfeld's part about what he was going to do. I'm not saying it was smart the way he did it, but pretty good indication that he was looking for a remote location so her body would not be discovered. No doubt in your mind that this was premeditated. No doubt. No doubt. 
heat of passion. No. No. It was cold and calculated. This, this was calculated over a very extended period of time. Which is why it was capital murder. In Mississippi, a capital murder charge means another felony crime was involved. And in this case, prosecutors say that crime was kidnapping. They believe Thiesfeld lured Allie into his truck. Under the guise of working the relationship out, when he had a 40 caliber pistol and had planned her murder all along. Thiesfeld's attorney says that theory might be tough to prove at trial. They were going to have to show that we kidnapped Allie. She voluntarily gets in the truck. They're going to try to say that we tricked her. That's a very, very big stretch. With Thiesfeld facing a possible death sentence and prosecutors knowing a capital murder trial could be grueling, emotional, and risky for everyone involved, they presented the defense with an offer. If you get a plea offer other than death, then guess what? You've got a, a scenario where a plea to a lesser charge of first-degree murder is certainly more attractive. And that's exactly what happened. On August 27, 2021, Brandon Thiesfeld, dressed in an orange jumpsuit, pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. Allie's family and friends were there wearing her favorite color, pink. The judge sentenced Brandon to life in prison. Reporter Jake Thompson was in the courtroom. We never saw a motion from him until uh, the, the plea hearing where he spoke or read a little bit. He broke down in tears. That was the first time I, he showed emotion. Thiesfeld's audio was muffled when he faced the judge and addressed the court. He said in part, quote, There is no excuse for my actions. I have asked God for forgiveness, and I hope one day that you will find it in your hearts to forgive me. Brandon Thiesfeld stood up and accepted responsibility in open court and the realization of the consequences of his actions are very real and sobering. There is no parole for murder in Mississippi. So let me tell you, that is a terrible penalty. Why did he say he killed her? There is no justification for his conduct, and I believe no good explanation for what he did. Does he I say think, why, though? No, I'm just telling okay. you to the best of, I, I mean, there there is no good answer. I think what has been explained is he's impaired uh, on alcohol, he's drunk, he's impaired on cocaine. We certainly know uh, what that does to someone's mind. You know, was he justified? Absolutely not. Were they arguing? Not to my knowledge. Did the allegation of pregnancy going uh, uh, on and on and on contribute to that? Certainly could have. He shared with us that he didn't uh, he didn't know, but uh, he didn't believe that she were pregnant. But he oh, said he said he didn't believe she were. She well, was he pregnant. doubted that she was. He pregnant. doubted he that she was pregnant. He doubted that she was pregnant. Prosecutors say the home pregnancy test results were inconclusive. Allie's autopsy report, however, was definitive. We know medically she was not pregnant. Could Allie have been pregnant in the months leading up to her death? According to a text message she sent Thiesfeld in early July, Allie says she had been bleeding and believed something was wrong. There was some evidence that would have, uh, that could indicate she had a miscarriage. Do you believe she was pregnant? I do. At some point, I do. 
To your knowledge, was she pregnant? We just don't know. She could have been, but also the results were inconclusive. So we really just aren't sure. Prosecutors believe what happened between Allie Costell and Brandon Thiesfeld is a cautionary tale. You know, I can't imagine how there could be any way possible that Allie could have known that Brandon Thiesfeld was capable of doing what he did to her. If she had any idea that this is what this person was capable of, she would never have gotten in that truck. I think love can blind us to certain things that other people can see that we can't. Brandon Thiesfeld's family chose not to participate in our broadcast. His mother asked his attorney to share these words. When I heard Brandon was being spoken to by the police, I still had no single thought that it could be him. Now, after two years and knowing more of the details of their relationship, I'm heartbroken for every person this impacts and crushed that our son did not share with us any of the turmoil he was trying to manage. I encourage every parent to regularly sit down with their children, teenagers, young adults, and discuss with them that there will never be anything too big, too complicated, too out of control that they cannot tell you about. We will always pray for the family and friends of Allie Costell. Cindy and Keith are holding on to their memories. How are you doing? It's the, the, the quietest moments that are the most haunting. She was my life, my everything. For her friends, Allie's love for sunsets still shines through. Allie, what are you doing? Taking a picture for sunsets by Allie. <laughs> so every time we see a sunset or a pink sunset, we're like, that's Allie. And we just try to live for her and bring her light into the world. corner of America facing challenges. Everyone is just looking for some type of connection. Just raise your hand and say, hey, I'd like to help. Coming together to find solutions. We are going to do something about it. Their stories are our stories. Welcome to Eye on America. Stream on the free CBS News app Mondays at 8 p.m. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? 
Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Join me, 48 Hours correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the secrets within families, cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved. Enjoy My Life of Crime on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on Wondery Plus. Take true crime with you on your shirt, mug, or hat with official 48 Hours merchandise at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code HOURS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 48 Hours products with code HOURS20 at ParamountShop.com.